Uh, two weeks ago, we started a, what's going to be a series that's going to take us all the way to Christmas, uh, going through the life of Abraham as we find it recorded in the book of Genesis. We're going to spend lots of time with Abraham. And the reason is, is because the Bible spends lots of time with Abraham. Uh, we find his story covers a huge section of the book of Genesis. And then he is mentioned over and over and over and over again as we read our Bibles. So right here at the beginning of my time uh, here at our church, you know, just starting out with you guys, uh, I want to start with this foundational person in Scripture that God uses to show us what it means to have a relationship with him. If you remember, two weeks ago, we talked about how Abraham's life is sort of like the intro dance. Uh, uh, intro dance is your first dance where your partner says, you know, would you dance with me? And you say, oh, I'm not a dancer. And they say, come on, let me show you how to do it. And you, you say, okay. And they say, put your hand here, put your other hand here. Now step like this. Good. And you learn step by step how to dance. Abraham's life was, that was God doing an intro dance with us, his people. So we're going to study it episode by episode. Uh, so today we're on episode two, the second half of Genesis 12. If you remember how all this started, God calls Abraham out of Babylon and calls him to go to Canaan. And he makes him a big promise. He says, I'm going to give you three things. Uh, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan, the land that you're going to. I'm going to give you offspring going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to make you a blessing, land, offspring, and blessing. God called Abraham into that promise because he's the God who calls. The other thing we're doing, uh, every week, we're starting with the question, who is Abraham's God in this passage? And we're ending with the question, is this the God that we know? And the reason is, is we can learn all about Abraham, be just like him, and still completely be a total mess. Because Abraham's not the one who saves us. Abraham's God is the one who saves us. So that's where we are. There's your, that's the intro, that's the heading. Now let's look at the text and let's read what Abraham does right after God calls him into this big promise. Look with me at Genesis 12.10. Now there was famine in the land. Do you guys know what? Kids, do you know what famine is? Yeah, it's when it doesn't rain for a long time and everything dries up. There's no food. Okay. Now, there was famine in the land. So, whoa. There was famine in the land. So, Abraham, Abram uh, went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they'll let you live. So say you're my sister, that it, will, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life might be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram. And he, Abram, had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. 
But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, in this time, in this time and place, I pray that you would do the thing that you uh, promised you'll do, and that's send your word out uh, to accomplish your purposes. Lord, I pray that we would receive what you have to say. Pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate your word in our hearts and our minds and our imaginations. Help us to see Jesus, the Savior, for who he is in this story. We pray in his name. Amen. All right, so every week we're looking at the text, we're looking at the story, the episode in Abram's life, and we're asking the question, who is Abram's, Abraham's God in this passage? Now, in this passage, Abraham's God, if you're a sermon note taker, this is the big idea for you to write down. In this passage, Abraham's God is the God that we do not expect. Who is Abraham's God? He's the God that we do not expect. I believe that God shows himself to be the God that Abraham, Abram, didn't expect him to be. And he shows himself in this text to be the God that we almost every single day don't expect him to be. Um, here's, here's why. I got three things, three ways that God shows himself to be the God that we don't expect in this passage. Here's the first one. Uh, we expect God to make following him easy, but he doesn't. All right, let's have some fun with this. Uh, we're going to do, we have three points, and they're all similar, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, Grown-ups, here in a second, I want you to say with me, we expect God to make following him easy. And then kids, every kid in here, I want you to say as loud as you can, but he doesn't. Okay? So, okay, grown-ups, we expect God to make following him easy. Now, kids, but he doesn't. Let's try it one more time. Grown-ups, we expect God to make following him easy. Now, kids, but he doesn't. Awesome. Okay, we're going to get the hang of this throughout the, throughout the message. Okay. Abram wanted God to make following him easy. We want God. We expect him to. That's what God is supposed to do. I love how this passage starts out. After God had made these, this big promise, he's going to give land. He's going to make Abram a great nation and give him offspring. He's going to make him a blessing. Just walk through the land, build altars, Abram. This is the place that I will give you. This is your inheritance. And then in Genesis 12, 10, it says, but there was famine in the land. Abram had had firsthand experiences with God. He heard God call him. 
It, it says in the passage just before this that he, God appeared to him. Abram saw God. He firsthand received his promises. We saw Abram living fearlessly in the land. He's in the land surrounded by the Canaanites that were, uh, at this time, giant clans were living in Canaan. He's around these warlike eight feet tall people that were big and scary, but he's fearless. He's walking around building altars. And we see Abram living in faithful obedience, following God's call, face-to-face -face encounter with God, living faithfully, living without fear. And then there's famine in the land. And what happens? He immediately begins to live faithlessly. He goes down to Egypt. Now, at this time, uh, Egypt was more dependent on the rise and fall of the Nile than it was on seasonal rains. So very often when it would ha we'd have famine in Canaan, Egypt would be green. And we see that played out later in the book of Genesis with the story of Joseph. But God had specifically told Abram, go to the land that I will show you, the land of Canaan. God told Abram to go to Canaan, and famine happens in Canaan fairly regularly. We read about famine in Canaan over and over again in Scripture. God knew there was going to be famine, but the first time famine hits, Abram's great faith crumbles, and he goes down to Egypt. We saw him living fearlessly before, and now he's living fearfully. He goes down on the way down. He looks over at his wife and he says, hey, I, I, I've noticed that you're a beautiful woman. The Egyptians are going to kill me so that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, will take you for his wife. So I got an idea. How about you say that you're my sister so that my life will be spared and it will go well with you? What a fearful, cowardly thing to do. He was fearless, and now he's fearful. And we saw, God, we saw him before having these face-to-face, -face, this face-to-face -face encounter with God. It says that God appeared to him. But now we don't see God talking in this text at all. God's not appearing here. He's silent. So before Abram was First hand, face to face, he was fearless, he was faithful. But then famine comes. One day he realizes it hasn't rained for a while. The next day he realizes his grass is turning brown. The next day he realizes that the shelves of Trader Joe's are getting a little bare. And then all of a sudden he's afraid. He loses his nerve. He loses his faith. He abandons everything. He must have thought God was going to make it easy. But God doesn't. And we see patterns like this all throughout Scripture. This is one of the things that God does with his people. This is part of how he, to borrow the metaphor from last time, how he dances with us. He brings us through times of great spiritual high, when we feel his presence, when we know his promises, where we're not afraid. And then right after, he'll bring us through times of dryness, times of spiritual low. He did it with Abram. He did it with Israel. They come out from the Exodus, the sea parts. They have this great experience. They go to Mount Sinai. They experience God, and then they go wander for 40 years in the desert. 
He did it with Jesus. Jesus' baptism. The heavens opened. The voice of the Father, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit comes as a dove. The whole Trinity all there together. This beautiful, cosmic, mysterious moment. And right after that, God leads Jesus to the desert to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. He did it with the early church. The day of Pentecost was this great moment of Pastor Peter preaching the greatest sermon of all time. It was his first one. It was amazing. 3,000 people came to faith. The Holy Spirit uh, is poured out, whatever that means. It was amazing. And right after that, there's persecution. The apostle James is killed with a sword. Stephen is stoned. This is something that God does. But I wonder if you're like Abraham and if you're like me, whenever famine hits in life, we say, this is not like God. What's God doing? Who is God? I don't even know who he is right now. And I wonder if he sits back and says, you know, I'm the God that they don't expect. I always have been. We see here that he's the God that we don't expect because we think he's going to make life easy, kids. But he doesn't. Good. (laughs) All right, here's the second thing. This is a God we don't expect. We expect God to have an imperfect plan, but he doesn't. Okay, adults, we expect God to have an imperfect plan, kids. Yes, awesome. Okay, you might say, Charlie, um, I'm a member of a Presbyterian church. Uh, I have read not only my Bible, but the Westminster Confession of Faith. I know that God is sovereign. I know that his plan is perfect from all eternity. I know that he ordains everything that comes to pass. And I know that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Well, that's awesome. That's true. But think about our lives. We don't live like we actually believe his plan is perfect. We live like Abram does in this passage. God's promise to Abram to make him a great nation, to give him offspring, uh, to give him land uh, to inhabit, and for him to be a blessing in the world can only actually come true if Abram stays alive in Egypt, right? He goes to Egypt, he's afraid because Sarai is a pretty lady, he's going to get killed. Now, it seems irrational, but we know from uh, what we've learned in history that actually around this time, uh, the early pharaohs in Egypt did have a practice of wife-stealing, killing people to steal their wives. So his fears are not totally irrational, Maybe that's why he shouldn't have gone there. But he sees that his life is in danger, and he thinks, okay, God's perfect plan, the thing that he ordained, the thing that I learned about, the big thing that has to happen uh, is for me to have a child, to become a great nation, is for me to inherit this land, and that's how the world is going to be blessed. That's only going to work if I stay alive. Now, Sarai, God made the promise to me He didn't necessarily make the promise to her. And part of this promise is that we're going to have a kid, and she's been infertile for mm, 60 years. 
So you know what? Maybe God ordains the end, but the means, how we get there, what God needs right now is a good manager. Sometimes with good leadership, we got to make the tough call. And if somebody gets left behind, well, uh, you know, that's business is business. And you know the church, it's a business. And sometimes God needs my help. So you know what? I have figured out a way to make God, what he's already ordained, of course, uh, come to pass. And it's that we're going to play this game. She's my sister. So Sarai, say you're my sister so it will go, uh, so I will live and it will go well with you. Because if I live, the world gets blessed. Now that was a dramatic retelling of what happened. Hyperbolic, obviously, but don't we do this, folks? Don't we look at God's plan to save the world through Jesus Christ, working by the Holy Spirit through his people? And don't we consider what we're doing here? And don't we think, of course, God's going to make it happen. But to make this work tomorrow, I need to manage this my way. Don't we do this for those of us who are married? Don't we do this in our marriages? God's called us to faithfulness to our spouse. But you know what? I have needs. And in order to achieve faithfulness, I'm just going to do this little thing over here. Those of us who are single, don't we do this? That God's called us to faithfulness to him and our singleness. And we say, oh, that's great. But to, you don't understand. I, I live alone. To make this happen, I got to do this other thing over here. Folks, we do this because we think that his plan is imperfect, but it's not. Grown-ups, we, we start thinking this, you know, sometimes a good leadership, you got to make the tough call. You got to do the right. You, I got to make this happen my way. And we get mixed up with right and wrong sometimes because we try to do God's job for him. So let's ask for a little help from our kids. Kids, I have a question for you. Is, was it a good thing or was it a bad thing for Abram to lie about his wife and put her in great danger? Is that good or bad? It's a bad thing. Grown-ups, it's a bad thing when we try to manage God's plan for him. It never works. And his actions have consequences. This wasn't just like a, like, let's, let's fake out the Egyptians. Uh, Pharaoh said that he took Sarai as his wife. What do you think that means? Abram didn't just put her in danger. She was hurt. He put her to shame. Because of his lie, something was taken from her. She wouldn't be able to get back. His relationship with Sarai for the rest of his story is very complicated. You could tell through the rest of the story, she never trusts him again, and rightfully so. The consequences of this play out, we'll see later, into his relationship with Hagar and their son Ishmael. And we still live with the consequences of Abram's actions here today. But God's plan, 
even when he leads us through famine is perfect. Trying to manage God's plan for him never works. I think about, it says in Romans that uh, we're supposed to rejoice in our sufferings. This is in Romans 5. Because the suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I believe that God in his perfect plan let famine come to the land so that Abram, in the hardship of famine, would learn endurance, would learn character, which produces hope, and doesn't put us to shame. Abram trying to manage God brought shame on Sarai. And God's plan was to dispel shame. His plan is perfect, even in famine. And I wonder if you, like Abram, and like I have done so many times, live with the consequences of ruined relationships in your life, I know I do, because you look back to a time when you tried to manage God's plan to make it more perfect. So he's a God we don't expect. We think that following him is going to be easy. It's not. And we we think that he's going to make following him easy, kids. But he doesn't. But he doesn't. We think that his plan is imperfect. We think that he has an imperfect plan, kids. Okay, and the last one. And this is the good news. We see it in this story. He's the God we don't expect because we expect that God is going to leave us in our failure. Kids, but he doesn't. We expect God. Let's do it. Let's do it as a group. Adults, we expect God to leave us in our failure. Kids, but he doesn't. Awesome. Consider how God intervenes in this story with radical grace. He brings plagues upon Pharaoh's house, foreshadowing the Exodus event, which foreshadows the Exodus out of our sin brought by Christ. He puts plagues on Pharaoh's house. He takes a hold of Pharaoh's conscience, and he sets Sarai free. God steps in and he saves Sarai out of her bondage. And Abram and Sarai are escorted out of Egypt, carrying the riches of Egypt with them. That was blood money. Abram took that money in exchange for his wife, which is nasty, nasty. But God, at the end of the story, they carried away as plunder. God changes the narrative. He steps in and undoes the whole mess. But there's something about this. I just can't get over what Abram did. Where, fine, grace, fine. But where's the justice in this, right? Are you like me and you want somebody to pay? Abram sells... Gives up on God right at the beginning, sells out his wife, takes the money. She's hurt really bad, and they just walk away. God, how is that grace? We expect that he's going to leave us in our failure, but he doesn't. 
but it's not injustice. It's grace. And grace and justice are friends. At least the grace of God. Because this, watch what God does. According to the promise, offspring, land, and blessing. Abram's greatest son, Jesus Christ, enters into the land to live faithfully where Abram was faithless, to live fearlessly where Abram was fearful, and to live before God where Abram turned his back on God, and then to die a criminal's death, having everything taken from him, suffering the penalty for Abram's nasty, nasty sin, and suffering the penalty for all of Abraham's sons and daughters. And not only that, suffering Sarai's shame and bearing the shame of everyone who would put their faith in him. Do you see how in this passage, grace and justice go together? We think God's going to leave us in our failure, and he doesn't. He comes in with radical grace, and we think God is going to let injustice off the hook, but he doesn't. He sends his son to bear the penalty and to bear the shame. In Romans, it says that anyone who has faith in Christ is Abraham's son or daughter. And folks, I wonder if after hearing about all the ways that we think God is someone who he's actually not, and all the ways how we uh, really blaspheme him by holding him to a standard that he didn't make for himself, and all the ways we mess up his plan by trying to manage it for him, and all the ways we make our life a total mess and hurt other people. If you feel that in your heart, I want to invite you, just as God invited Abram, to look to the promise. Jesus Christ, the God we don't expect, the God who became Abraham's son to redeem Abraham's family. And put your trust in him. He sets captives free. He takes the penalty of criminals. And he brings us into our family and leads us back to the land carrying the treasures of heaven, the glory of God in our life. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, God of Abraham, thank you for your word. It's like hearing from you in your word. Uh, having your Holy Spirit illuminate Christ in this story, knowing that you are here and that you speak and that you accept us, captives and criminals, into your family. Lord, it's like water on dry, cracked ground. Thank you that you are not the God of our own making. 
Thank you for being bigger than we can wrap our heads around. Thank you for being who you are. Lord, we pray for grace to live in such a way where our hearts and imaginations are ever surprised by your greatness and by your glory. Thank you for Jesus, the Savior, the God we didn't expect. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.